Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, hello. So I'm, uh, I'm Greg Clark. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and excited to have you guys here with us today. I wanted to give you an encouraging story um, from our time on the roof. Uh, we had lots of fun. It was just this last Monday that we did that. And we worked through a local contractor who was also a part of our congregation, and, and he helped us set everything up. And he had one of his um, hired workers come join us that day. So, you know, we, we had a lot of volunteers and kind of one hired worker there. And we probably had, I think we had about eight or nine people from our congregation come and join us uh, in, in helping put that, fix that roof. And lots of interaction with this one guy who was the hired worker. And he was so moved by all the volunteers and by, by all this stuff that was happening today that he donated back his time um, to doing the roof also. So it was just an encouraging story of how, you know, we, we go because we want to be a part of our, our community. We go because we want to um, be helpful uh, in helping a family with a roof that needs to be done and that kind of stuff. But there's also ministry that's done with the people that are joining us and putting this roof back together. So it was really neat. Uh, so thank you as well for those of you that prayed because uh, we're excited. There, things happen. Things happen when we get involved with the community. So we're looking for some more projects like that. And there's going to be some other things that happen. Just this week, there was a, a single mom that was in need, and we were able to help her out as well. And so there's just, you know, there's some neat things that are happening in our community. So continue to pray and continue to look for ways that you can be involved with your friends and neighbors as well. Well, today's a good day. Um, thankful for the rain. Thank you, Jesus, that we've got some rain yesterday and today. That's good. Things are cooling off a little bit. Be prepared. It's going to be a warm week. Uh, but, uh, but God continues to be good in the midst of uh, even when it's too warm sometimes. We don't want to complain too much about the weather because someone was praying this morning that uh, we're looking forward to the weather changing, and I don't know if I'm quite looking forward to that yet, but um, excited about as much summer as we can have. Well, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Florida, and I went to Gulfview Elementary School uh, and around um, uh, the age or the grade of grade five or six, something like that, I remember a, a, a time happening when I was out on the playground uh, playing a version of kickball. It wasn't really kickball. We were just kicking a kickball back and forth between two groups. You'd catch the ball and kick it back again. It was just kind of a goofy little game that kids come up with. And uh, the thing that we were doing is, is whoever, we were taking turns. So it doesn't matter who caught the ball. We would always give it to whoever's turn it was next to kick the ball, because that was really fun to be able to kick the ball back and forth. So we were taking turns doing this kind of stuff, and, and we were having lots of fun. But there was this one kid named Terrence um, who, uh, who kind of joined in on our game, and he was a bit of a bully. Everybody knew he was a bully. He kind of picked on a lot of people, myself included. Um, but he came and joined us in the game, and if he caught the ball, he would just kick it. He wouldn't give it to the next person whose turn it was. And in fact, he would try to actively steal the ball uh, from the other kids who caught it, try to steal it before they could kick it. Or uh, He just really kind of made a m bit of a mess of the game. And the game eventually became 
let's try to see how we can get the ball as soon as possible and give it to the kid whose turn it actually is before Terrence would steal the ball away. Well, at one point, we were fairly successful at this. So we were able, it wasn't keep away per se, but it was kind of like, let's keep the game going the way that we've been trying to play it. And we were very successful at, at keeping Terrence from stealing the kickball from anybody. And we got through a whole round. Every kid on our side had a chance to kick the ball. So it actually became Terrence's turn. He had not stolen the ball in long enough a time that it was now his turn in the rotation to kick the ball. So when we got the ball back, kind of there were some hard feelings and nobody wanted to give Terrence the ball. But I said, hey, let's do this. Let's give Terrence the ball. So I took the ball and gave it to Terrence. And as I gave him the ball, there was shock on his face. I said, Terrence, it's your turn to kick the ball. There was shock on his face and a little bit of a smile. And he kicked the ball. And wouldn't you know it, we had no more problems with Terrence the rest of the game. In fact, even when he caught the ball, he would give the ball to the kid whose turn it was to kick it next. Now, not everything about Terrence changed that day. He was still a bit of a bully, and he was still acting out on probably some stuff that was happening in his family life. Uh, but he was a bit of a bully and picking on people still. But I knew him for years after that. In fact, Terrence and I, um, we went to elementary school together. We went to middle school together and even started off high school together because we were in the same grade. We lived near each other. And from that day forward, I, don't, I wouldn't say that Terrence and I were buddies, but, but he had a bit of a respect for me, and I would smile at him, and he would smile at me. It was almost like we were better than acquaintances, not, not quite friends, but there was something there between Terrence and I. There's a passage in Scripture that I'm very fond of, which speaks to this incident, and actually is something that I think we need to keep in mind as we go into our sermon for today. And here's the passage. It's in, it's in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The passage is this. God's kindness leads you to repentance. God's kindness leads you to repentance. We're spending our summer journeying through the Psalms. I hope, hope you've had a chance to read a, a few along with us as we've been going. We've been talking about songs, uh, psalms of lament and psalms of praise. Last week, Pastor Amy spoke really well about the, the psalms of ascent. You can go back and listen to that sermon. It's up on our website. It was quite good. And you're going to have to listen to that sermon to find out how Pastor Amy interrogated her own emotions during a tense conversation. So you're going to have to go back and see what I'm talking about there. It's just a little teaser to get you to listen to last week's sermon. But today we're looking at another group of psalms that I actually wanted to skip over. I didn't want to talk about this group. There's only 14 of them. So out of 150 psalms, there's only 14 of them that are like this. They're called the imprecatory psalms. And now many of the, the other psalms in those 150, many of the other uh, psalms have a, a portion of them that are imprecatory in nature. But there's 14 psalms that are distinctly imprecatory. Now, the word imprecate means to curse. So, imprecatory psalms is just a fancy word for the cursing psalms. And so, we're going to go into them today. And I wanted to skip them because I'm not a big fan of cursing, but I think that there's some good stuff in these psalms. So, I want to give you an example of what one of the imprecatory psalms are. So, this is Psalm 58. Justice. Do you rulers know the meaning of the word? Right, right away, as you read the first line, you're like, okay, this, 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 this might be good. Uh, 
Do you judge the people fairly? No. You plot injustice in your hearts. You spread violence throughout the land. These wicked people are born sinners. Even from birth they have lied and gone their own way. They spit venom like deadly snakes. They are like cobras that refuse to listen, ignoring the tunes of the snake charmers, no matter how skillfully they play. Break off their fangs, O God. Smash the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground. Make their weapons useless in their hands. May they be like snails that dissolve, and this is like crazy, into slime. Like a stillborn child who will never see the sun. God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats over burning thorns. The godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. What an image that is. And then at last, everyone will say, there truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly here on earth. Whew, hey? Like, that's some serious stuff. And to me, that seems really harsh. Like, extraordinarily harsh. I'm not a guy who likes this kind of stuff. Like, I don't, I don't relish these kind of psalms. And when I read these, I get a little bit, my heart starts to beat kind of heavy. I get kind of concerned. But I want you to pause for a moment. Just pause for a moment. Did this psalm resonate in your heart in any peace? Have you ever looked out over this world, particularly those who are in charge, the rulers, and seen their sinful acts and desired for God to do something big about it, something against them, against that person, for that ruler to experience some kind of terminal justice, for somebody to maybe take them out? Now, possibly you've had that feeling before and you've struggled with that feeling. Maybe you haven't. But maybe now, as you look at this, you're thinking, I think I might have felt that once or twice. Where does God's mercy come into play in, in, in a, a psalm like this, or in a moment, or a thought like this? You see, God is a just God. God is a God who loves justice. But he is also a merciful God. So what role do these imprecatory psalms play in scripture and further to that we use many of the psalms as prayer guides right we we go through the psalms and some of the psalms we, we pray these types of psalms sometimes are the the imprecatory psalms are these psalms psalms that we should be emulating psalms that we should pray as well well we're going to answer those questions today remember that the the psalms are part of the uh, the poetry genre of the Old Testament books. Like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there's a few different poetic books in the Old Testament. And these poetry books are filled with raw and sometimes conflicting emotions. They're an authentic and a vulnerable look into the struggle of God's people. And therefore, the poetic books can sometimes contain what appears to be confusing thoughts and difficult emotions. Like in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 8, here's this gem. A bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. You read that and you think, what? Like, 
Did the Bible just tell me that I should bribe people to get my way? Well, no, it didn't really tell you that. But we kind of read this passage and we're like, okay, so the next passage is likely going to say something like bribery eventually is a terrible thing and and everybody comes to justice. But it doesn't. It just leaves it. it. This passage is written and then it just moves on to something else. And you kind of look at it and you go, what's going on here? Well, in the poetic structure of Proverbs, there's no need to correct this thinking because it's poetry. This isn't a scripture passage that's meant to be put up on your wall as a life verse. It's true in many cases. This happens, but it's not necessarily meant to describe God's desire for your life. Similarly, so in Ecclesiastes, another poetic book, it opens with the author saying this, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. (laughs) What an encouraging verse. Now, hopefully nobody has this kind of on their Facebook wall as their life verse or or on their welcome mat of their house or on the bumper of their vehicle. Hopefully this is not something you've put up anywhere. And though these verses are in Scripture and they're God's written word to us, we need to understand how to read them in the context that they were written, in the poetic context they were written. These verses, rather than being life verses for us, they're written with raw emotions. They're an authentic and vulnerable look into the struggle going on in the heart of God's people. And often they resonate with us in the middle of our struggles. There have been times in my struggle that I've looked out and gone, meaningless, it's all just meaningless. It's just so meaningless. And it's not something I want to, a place that I want to live in, but it's a place that I experience at the raw level. Looking back at the imprecatory Psalms, Psalm 58 that we just read does a good job of describing the frustration and the anger that can well up within us towards those who rule in evil ways. Similarly, there's another imprecatory psalm, Psalm 137, that describes that frustration as well, but it gives us a better glimpse into what's going on in the background. So I want you to listen to this imprecatory psalm, and I want you to try to understand the the people who are writing it, understand what's going on in the story. So here's the psalm. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. So, So right away, notice what's happening. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem, which was far off from Babylon. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did. On the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem, destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back. 
for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. That's harsh imagery there. That's a harsh psalm again, isn't it? It's a harsh psalm. We cringe a little bit at that. But remember that this psalm is describing the raw emotion of the moment. Notice what's happening here. Babylon has just conquered Israel and they've taken the people of Israel into captivity. Babylon was a cruel, a cruel and abusive nation who did unspeakable things to those they defeated. And here we have a group of Israelites who are being mocked by their captors to sing a song of Jerusalem, which Babylon had just destroyed. You can picture it a little bit in your imagination, a, a group of battered and bruised Israelite captives who have watched their land destroyed, their, their, their cities turned to rubble, and their friends and families likely killed right in front of them, sitting in a foreign land as their captors mock them, saying, sing us a song of your beloved Jerusalem. What raw emotion do you think that would well up within you if you had just watched your family murdered? If you had just seen your city destroyed, if you'd been taken off into captivity and were mocked. Well, I think probably anger and hate and vengeance would well up within me. And that's what this psalm reflects. It reflects the strong, raw emotion of those that have been taken into captivity. A modern day example of this is the victim impact statements that are presented at court trials. You, you may have heard about these. Um, it's common practice nowadays when a crime is committed against someone, um, the court will want to hear, who did this hurt? How has this affected people? They want to have victim impact statements so they can understand the, the depth and the, the, the hardness and the difficulty that people have gone through. What is the nature of this crime? Who has been ravaged by this? And oftentimes the victim impact statements are full of this kind of raw emotion. They're full of difficulties and, and they're full of, of, of harsh, harsh things. And understandably so. Depending on the nature of the crime, sometimes these victim impact statements are super hard to listen to. I've actually been a part of a couple of people who have come to me to ask me to read their victim impact statements. And these are hard vulnerable and honest accounts of the impact of crime. What we're talking about here is the, the, the devastation that sin causes. See, sin is the commission or the omission, the, the action or the inaction, the behaviors that are outside of God's desires, the things that we do that we should not do, or the things that we don't do that we do. Whenever we do anything that is against God's desire, against his plan, we sin. And sin has a devastating effect on our world and a devastating effect on the people of our world. These imprecatory psalms are the raw emotional victim impact statements of, those, of the effects of sin and the honest gut-wrenching responses the victims have to those people who sin against them. The imprecatory psalms speak to that place of anger and frustration. But the key here is that we don't want to stay in these places. 
We've taught you here at Beaver Lodge Alliance how important lamenting is to the process of freedom and healing in your journey. And I also think that the imprecatory psalms help us in our journeys as well. To be honest with ourselves and with God about how hurt we have been and what emotions that pain stirs up in our souls. This kind of, of moment To be honest with our raw emotions will help us to actually move along in our healing journeys. We don't want to get stuck there. But as a way forward, we sometimes have to recognize that these emotions are real. There's a place for us to say what effect sin has caused in our life and and get upset about it. In our forgiveness tool, we actually have some um, on the table in the foyer. And we'll put, put this up on our Facebook page this week as well if you want to take a look at this. There's space to recognize the feelings someone else's sin has stirred up within us. And there's place to recognize the effect that sin has had on our life. It's okay to, to get angry about sin. It's okay to get angry about the effects of sin. It's just not okay to stay in that place of pain. The imprecatory psalms are a snapshot into the raw emotions being felt by God's people and in some of their most difficult and broken circumstances. The problem for us in reading these imprecatory psalms is that there seems to be a bit of incompleteness to the psalm. Uh, Because it's poetic, the psalm doesn't wrap up with a nice pretty bow. We'd love for there to be... We're we're fans of the 30-minute sitcom, right? 26-minute with commercials. And we, we love that at the end of the 26 minutes, there may have been a devastating problem in the beginning of the story, but by the end of the 26 minutes, everything's wrapped up and pretty and happy and they live happily ever after, right? We're big fans of that kind of stuff, but the, the, the Psalms don't offer that to us, especially the imprecatory Psalms. They, they just kind of stir up this raw emotion and leave it there. It just kind of hangs we, we don't always see the follow-up to these emotions. Did the psalmist live in their anger forever? Well, we don't know. We don't know. We're just left with the raw emotions. But what we do know is that God is a God of mercy. And we get a glimpse in, in, in many of the psalms of God's great mercy, but we also get a glimpse. There's one imprecatory psalm in particular where we get a glimpse of the purpose behind the imprecations, the purpose behind the curses. It's Psalm 83, and we won't read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read the end part here of Psalm 83. Here's what the psalmist writes. Oh my God, scatter them like tumbleweed, like chaff before the wind, as a fire burns a forest and as a flame sets mountains ablaze, chase them with your fierce storm. Again, such imagery here, right? Terrify them with your tempest. Utterly disgrace them until they submit to your name, O Lord. It's an interesting little piece to this. It's a harsh psalm again. If you read the rest of it, it's a harsh psalm. But there's this little piece at the end. In the middle of the raw emotion, the psalmist says, Utterly disgrace them until they submit to your name, O Lord. In the, in the New King James, it says, Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. There seems to be 
at least in some space of this broken, raw emotion, this, this desire, this redemptive desire for the curse and for the shame to result in a turning for the people. For the people to not be utterly destroyed, but that they would turn somehow in this, turn back to God and be saved. It reminds me of the story of Jonah, where Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, which was one of those nasty villains in the story. They're, they're this nation that came and took Israel into captivity. It's one of these people. There was Babylon and there was Assyria. Assyria were some of these nasty, nasty people who took Israel into captivity. Jonah, an Israelite, a prophet of Israel, goes to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, to speak to them about their sins. What a crazy place to go. When Jonah goes there, he goes with the imprecatory curses from God. He tells them, you've done wrong and God's going to destroy you. You've done wrong and God's going to destroy you. He goes and he preaches that throughout the whole nation. And the nation turns. They repent. They seek the Lord. And the whole nation comes to God. They become God-fearers. It's a crazy, crazy story. If you get a chance to read the story of Jonah later, read it. The curses somehow turn the people towards God. See, the imprecatory psalms, I think, are, are meant to play two very important roles. They are an honest and vulnerable display of the raw emotions of God's people who find themselves in these fiercely difficult situations. And they are cries against sin, calling people to repentance and to experience God's mercy and forgiveness calling people to turn away from their brokenness. But we, as we look at these imprecatory psalms, we need to be very careful about how we pray these kind of prayers. It's one thing to find uh, the cry of our hearts in these psalms and to use them to move ourselves into healing, to experience the healing of God by, by engaging these raw emotions. It's another thing altogether to use these psalms to actively call down curses on people. Much care needs to be taken when we use imprecatory prayers. David is the psalmist who wrote, uh, wrote Psalm 139, which we're about to look at. And it contains some imprecatory language in it. It's not an imprecatory psalm by itself, but it has a lot of imprecatory language in it. But in that psalm, here's what David says. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. See, our hearts can also deceive us and cause us to pray prayers that are out of line with God's heart. We can desire someone else to be cursed because we've not yet dealt with our pain. And this is not okay. It's important for us to first deal with our own pain, first deal with our own trauma before we go into anything that's imprecatory in nature. Our hearts need to first be lined up with God's heart before we attempt anything like this. And yes, God hates sin, and we can hate sin as well. And God is just, and we can be just, and we can love justice like God loves justice. But God is also merciful and gracious and compassionate, and God calls us to be that way as well. 
Old Testament and New Testament, since the beginning of time, God has always been a God of justice, but he has also always been a God of mercy. We must understand sin and curses and forgiveness and grace and mercy through God's eyes. See, God's desire is not to shower the world with curses. It's to shower the world with mercy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his disciples to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, we mirror God when we love our enemies. We mirror God when we love our enemies. And let us not forget as well that we have a great Redeemer. The, the penalty for sin has been placed on the shoulders of Christ. This is what Paul says in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The curse that we should rightly have on us and the curse that we sometimes wish upon our enemies has been placed on the shoulders of Christ. And we thank Jesus for taking our curse. The imprecatory psalms reflect the heartache sometimes that we have as we go through difficult circumstances. And yes, sin is grotesque. And people sometimes unknowingly and sometimes knowingly participate in sin. And they commit sin against one another. Sins that make our stomach turn and our blood boil. And the imprecatory psalms put words to those raw emotions of anger and hatred and frustration. And there is a careful and cautious place that we might pray imprecatory prayers, but we only do so after we have lined ourselves up with God, asked God to test our hearts, to allow us to line up with his desires for the people that we're praying for. And I can imagine, I think I've even prayed this way before, I imagine praying some of these prayers as I watch the, the stuff that's happening in our world today, the global atrocities that are taking place. I can imagine praying these type of prayers, and yes, I think I've prayed some of these prayers before as well, as I've seen brutal and vicious attacks that take place against people made in God's image. My heart breaks for the brokenness in this world. My heart breaks at the monstrosity of sin. But I also feel God's heart when he reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 9 that his desire is that none would perish. His desire is that none would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance and experience eternal life. And I remember the verse that we started out with this morning. Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so I pray, oh God, that's my desire too. That your kindness would lead people to repentance that no one would experience the devastating and horrific effects of sin. I desire that everyone would turn from their sin and their brokenness. I pray that those despots and dictators and murderers, I pray that they would know you, God. That they would turn from their wicked ways, seek your face, humble themselves, repent, and turn to you for salvation. Oh God, I pray that you would heal our land. I think our prayers need to reflect God's heart. God's heart of mercy and justice and healing and hope. So in conclusion, the, the imprecatory psalms are a part of God's written word for a reason. 
They reflect the raw emotions of God's people who found themselves in the midst of terrible circumstances. And for us, as we read them, they can give voice to our anger and our frustration over sin's pervasive nature in our world. But let us not get stuck in that place. We're called to hate sin, but to love mercy. And God's heart is focused on providing a way out of this sin-sick world. Jesus came to be a curse for us. Our prayers should reflect not only God's justice, but also his mercy. Let us pray that those who are involved in sinful activities would repent and turn to Jesus for salvation. So my question for you today, not looking external, but let's look internal for a moment. Are you in a place where you need to repent today? Are you in a place that you were involved in some kind of brokenness that you should not be involved in, that you today need to repent of that? Are you in a place where you've had some kind of brokenness done towards you and you need some healing? You've got some trauma or some brokenness that just has been like an anchor around your neck. Are you in a place where you need some healing today? Do you today know that Jesus came as, to be a curse for you? He came to pay for all of your brokenness. Do you know the grace and the mercy of Jesus personally for yourself today? After our closing song, I want to invite you to, to come forward for prayer. We're going to have uh, some of our elders and, and, uh, and pastors up here. Um, we're going to be up here. We want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. If you want to come forward to meet Jesus for the first time, we'd love to pray for you for that. If you want to come forward to repent of some brokenness and have somebody else witness that, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to come forward to begin your journey of healing, we'd love to pray with you for that as well. Whatever your need is today, we'd love to pray for you. So if you please stand with me now, we'll sing our closing song. I'll come up for the benediction and then we'll be available for prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you that you became the curse for us. And all the brokenness of the world has been placed upon your shoulders. And we know still today we uh, suffer the effects of sin. But God, we seek you. We look to you for justice and mercy. And God, in this world, we know that there are things that will happen that, that are devastating. Not just sin and its effects but sometimes when people die in their sin that they die for eternity in that and that cuts us deep lord that breaks our hearts but lord we trust in your mercy and your grace and your justice and so today lord I ask that you would work within us and that if there's anything within us that needs to be made right lord that you would you would help us walk into making that right whether it's something that needs to be confessed or something that needs to be healed and Lord, we pray for our world right now. We pray for our world. God, that, that, like I prayed earlier, that the despots, the rulers, the murderers, the people that are committing atrocities around this world, Lord, they would turn to you and be saved. They would turn to you and stop their brokenness. And God, that you would move widely across this world. And we ask, Lord, that you would start with us. That you would start with us. And so, church, I just bless you to continue to walk in mercy and grace and righteousness, to continue to walk in healing and hope. Yeah. And we pray, Lord, that you will be honored and glorified as your people are mobilized. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Prayer people are going to be up here at the front. Come forward to prayer if you'd like or head on off. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.